Amen. All the business out of the way. Let's get to the Word, because I'm excited this morning, and I, I almost wanted to start off preaching, uh, because I believe God's got an awesome Word uh, in His Word today. And so let's open with a word of prayer. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. The title of this morning's message is, The Key to Hell. Are part of our Words in Red series, The Key to Hell. We're going to be talking this morning about what happened during the time that Jesus was on the cross, and what does that mean for the church, you and I today? What happened when Jesus was on the cross, and what does that mean for you and I today? But let's open up with a word of prayer today, and then after our service, after the message, we'll be having another time, or finishing our time of worship and with communion, so don't get ready to go when we say amen. But I believe this is going to begin a launching part, uh, launching our hearts into worship uh, for today. But let's pray. Father God, we thank you for who you are, the rock, our fortress, our salvation. And Lord, that even things that have come against us, Lord, the Satan, the devil, death, hell, Lord, it had a, had a, a hold on our lives, Lord, that you have done something incredibly powerful. And God, I pray that today, Lord, that there be things in our life that need to be shaken off, or maybe we need victory in, our, in certain areas of our life. But Lord, that you would just begin to move in our hearts. Lord, I just speak over us today, God, that you would put a greater intensity of, of worship and celebration about the victory in Jesus Christ, that we would know who you are, Lord, and what you have done for us, and it would do something in our hearts, God, that would change the way we think, change the way we worship, God, that it would put an intensity in our hearts, God, just like it did in the early church, that we could know that we know that we know that we have been saved, filled, and delivered by the power of the blood of the Lamb, and that would do a mighty thing in our community. And somebody said, Amen. Matthew chapter 16, verse... 13. I'm going to turn there myself. Matthew chapter 16. Jesus is talking to his disciples. And here's what he says. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, and others Elijah but still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets, and he said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loosed on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. In verse 21, And from that time on, Jesus began to show His disciples that He must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes, be killed and be raised on the third day. Somebody said, Amen. Amen. We're going to talk this morning that Jesus Christ... The Son of the living God holds the keys to heaven, death, and hell. And He rescues confessors of faith. Everybody say, confessors of faith. From the pit of hell, and He gives us authority to establish His heavenly government on earth. That's what we're talking about today, the gates. We're going to break this down, talking about the gates, the keys, and the rock. The gates, the keys, and the rock. Let's look at this again. The gates. 
Jesus here, I'm coming to give you the background. Jesus retreats with his disciples. He's a very busy ministry. And so he retreats into the northeast region of Israel. And this is a region called Pania. And it's the area around a city called Caesarea Philippi. It's a very pagan city. Uh, Herod the Great put some things there. His son uh, named it, his son Philip named it after himself and the Caesar, uh, Augustus. And so Jesus retreats, but there's something interesting about this area is because in this area, this city was wickedness. And Jesus retreats into the wilderness. There was a, uh, a cave in Caesarea Philippi. And this cave was put into the hill, and I've actually had the chance to go there. I'll show you a picture here. There you go. Show you a picture. Uh, This cave was into the hill, and in front of the cave, they built a large temple to the god of Pan. And you've probably seen this figure in mythology, or it's a a man who's got the the hind feet of a a goat, but he plays the flute. Maybe you see it on uh, movies or different things like that, his pointy ears. And he was the shepherd god, the god of the wilderness, uh, a Greek god. And he was a god of sexuality and sensuality, a uh, very pagan uh, god, god of, of, of loric music. And this cult of Pan built this cave to him. And this cave's a natural cave, but what they believed is that in this cave is where the god, this demonic god, rested. And they would give sacrifices to this god, and they would throw their sacrifices in to this cave. And there was an underground spring. And if you are standing, see the water flowing at the bottom. There was an underground spring, much like we have here on the White Sulphur Spring area. It would go down the hill underground. It would bubble up later down the road. And if the god liked the sacrifice, the the animal would disappear into the abyss of hell. If he did not, there would be blood bubbling up out of the the stream and the waters would turn to blood. It's very pagan. They would dance in front of this thing and there were celebrations and and all kinds of promiscuity and all these things. And Jesus is standing here with his disciples in this demonic, hellish region and he looks to his disciples standing and looking towards the gates of hell and he says, who do you say that I am? And this is very important to know that this is where he takes to his disciples and the first time he tells his disciples that he will die through the cross and he will go down to death. And standing at the gates of hell at the cave of Pan, he says, the gates of Hades shall not stand against what he is about to do on his cross. And the gates, let's talk about gates for a second. Gate in the Bible, in the biblical times, meant authority or power. And at the gate, it was the center of city government. And so it really means government. And gate symbolizes government. And then the gates of Hades, Hades means realm of the dead. Hades and hell sometimes are interchanged in our Bibles. But it really means the realm of the dead or the realm or gates of death. So gates of Hades means really the power, the policy, the government of the devil and death's kingdom. And so Jesus says here that the authority and the power of this realm of the dead shall not stand for what I'm about to do on my cross and in the death that I'm about to go through, that he's going to go down and break the authority and government of the devil. And that's a powerful statement. Can you imagine you're standing there with Jesus and you believe in mythology? These people believed in other gods and you're standing at the gates of hell, literally. And Jesus says and looks to this place, he says, I'm about to break this thing down. 
Amen. Come on, somebody give some praise to God today. The authority and power of the realm of the dead and death shall not stand against Jesus and His cross. Man, that's powerful today. You know, there's an illusion of hell, just like these people, these Gentiles, were standing at the edge of hell. You think about this. They're standing at the edge of hell, playing around, dancing, playing the flute, and throwing things, and thinking they're appeasing this demonic God. And yet, and yet just like today, people today dancing so close to the gates of hell by what we think we're doing. The world today and our idolatries, our materialism, our greed, we look at the status of the world today, the whole world thinks that we can just play around, that hell is just something to be throwing things at, to dance around, and let's just do what I want to do and follow my fleshly desires and all these things. But Jesus is standing there and saying, He knows what's in that abyss. He knows that in that place is eternal torture. It's not something to joke around with. It's not something to just play and dance in the street about and play and have a party because that's what these people were doing. But he says, I'm going to do something today that is going to change the world forever. It's not a place of dancing, but of weeping. And so Scripture declares this was the place of the dead and all of us today, all of us who had sinned, all of us had sinned and fallen short of God's glory that we were destined to go to this place called hell. And the Bible says this, it says that death and hell are destined itself to go to a place called the lake of fire, that the place of death would go into a place called the lake of fire. And the Bible says that the lake of fire is a place of everlasting fire and sulfur. It was prepared for the devil and his angels, and it's a cursed place, a place of the judge. It's a place where you will eternally decay. Jesus is seeing, can you imagine what he knows about hell? He saw it. He's created it for the devil and his angels, yet people are dancing in front of it. Can you think the, just what he is thinking in his heart and is breaking for these people, even though they're ignorant in their sin? And he knows it's a cursed place of the judged. It's eternal torment night and day. And the Bible says that it's the place where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth where the worm does not die. So many people today dancing and standing too close to the gates of hell. Little do they know, as they're playing around, one day that pit will reach up and grab them and hold them for eternity with no hope. And Jesus is saying, the gates of hell shall not prevail. Man, the gates of hell shall not prevail. I love what one author says this. He says that though the devil holds his court of death, there is a throne higher than his throne. Amen. And by His resurrection and death, Jesus is about to conquer death, storm the gates of Hades, and to tell His disciples that this power of death and Satan will not overpower about what He's about to build. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 says it this way, Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, He Himself, Jesus, will likewise also He partook of the same. And that through death He might render powerless. Everybody say powerless powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and he might free those through fear of death were subject to the slavery all their lives. For assuredly, he does not give help to angels, but he does give help to the descendants of Abraham. That means he gives help and breaks the power of death and the devil to children of faith. Descendants of Abraham are us, the children of of faith and Jesus the Bible says became a man so that he might die go down into hell and take back what the devil stole from him Hallelujah. 
Amen? And so he's going to take back and restore what was rightly his, and there's a gate of hell, a fortress of hell, and Jesus is saying, I'm about to bust this thing down. And can you imagine just to be there that day? That I love what one author says. He says, the devil is no longer the king of hell. Jesus is king of hell. That kind of throws your theology off a little bit, doesn't it? To say that the devil is not king of hell. Jesus has earned the right, and he is king over all things. That Jesus is king of hell. And Spurgeon, the great theologian and pastor preacher, Spurgeon says this, I love it. He says, on that final day, at his bidding, every bolt of death's prison shall be drawn, and that huge iron gate of the tomb will be rolled back, and we will be raised in power and in glory. Amen? Man, that is good to think that I was going to be in chains and bound through a gate and authority of the devil that I could not bust through, that I had been playing so close to hell, but on that day, there's nothing in death's prison that's going to hold me back. Man, thinking about this the other day, that when we come to the end of our life, you know, it's one of those uncontrollable things. You didn't control that you were born. And a lot of things happen in our life that are uncontrollable. But when you really get to that last few moments, all of us will die, but none of us have ever experienced it. We've met people who've experienced it, but none of us can ever tell us or ever truly understand that to know in the next few moments, perhaps I might die. I'm at my deathbed. And to know that there is a thing happening that you don't know what happens beyond that moment where you give up your last breath and you close your eyes. And it could be a very fearful thing. Because it's an unknown thing. There's something happening beyond this life that is real. And so when you get to that moment, will it be fearful or will it be faithful? Because it's only almost hard to imagine because we go through life so many times. And so all the time we go through the, the day, you never think about dying. Very few of us really go through the day thinking about dying. Unless God, the doctor gives us a bad report or different things happen. But to know that death is powerless over me. To know that death is powerless because of Jesus Christ. Let's talk about the keys today. The keys. What is a key? I've got my keys are on in my office. But the key, a key is, what does it do? It opens and it locks, right? And sim- similarly, Jesus is speaking of spiritual things here, but he talks about permitting and prohibiting, all right? permitting and prohibiting. It, it also talks about power and authority. I'll give you an example. Uh, in Old Testament times, the, uh, the chief steward, a person who was over the household, uh, had keys. And they were symbolic, uh, and they were carried sometimes on a handkerchief uh, or a, a long tassel. And what they would do is they'd have these keys, and it symbolized power and authority, and it symbolized their ability to lock and unlock, and it was great responsibility. And what they would do is they would throw these keys over their shoulder. So you had this long, some of us, if you ever work at a school, or you got a lot of keys, right, brother? And, and so you would put them on a tassel, and you could throw them over your shoulder. And so Jesus, right here in, Math, in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, we learn that Jesus has the master key. He has the master key. And we read this verse all the time. We never understand what it means, but it says in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, the government will rest on his shoulders. You know what that means? He's got the keys to government. All right? Then you see that? The government will rest on his shoulders. He's got the key. He takes those keys. It's on a tassel. He throws it over his shoulders. And so he's got the 
permission and prohibition. He's got the power and the responsibility. He's got the ability to open and lock all things. It says His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And you jump into Revelation Revelation chapter 3, verse 7, it says that Jesus has the key of David, and He can open and shut what other, no man other can. He can open things that no man can open. He can shut things that no man can shut. And when He shuts it, no man can open it. And that's how, how powerful these keys are. And Revelation 1.8 says that Jesus took the keys of death in Hades. And so Jesus is saying here, I've got the key. He, Jesus alone, has the keys. He's earned the right. He is God. He is God's Son. And so He has all authority, all power, all dominion. And He holds the keys of the government of this world, of heaven, of earth, and of hell, on His shoulders. And I love what one author says this. He says, if the lower parts of hell and death bow to Jesus, how much more does the government of this world... Heaven, earth, hell. If he's gone all the way down to the bottom and he's gained authority, you better believe he's got authority over things today. And that's awesome. The devil was the tenant in hell for a while, just like a bad tenant of a rent house, but the key's back in the landlord's hand. Jesus holds the power to open and lock heaven or hell, and you think of it this way, just as Noah's ark was open for a time and shut, so too will Jesus have keys that open and shut heaven and hell. There'll be a time when Jesus shuts the door to heaven, and it will be useless for any single person who feels they, with sad cries, now wish to enter, because what Jesus shuts, no man can open. But what He has opened, no man can shut. And for those of us to whom heaven is open, His children of faith, Spurgeon said this, a thousand angels could not hurl us to the grave, nor a host of cherubim could confine us into hell for one moment after that day that Jesus says to you and I, Arise. Man, not an angels or legions or principalities nor powers can heap you in that grave one moment more when Jesus comes and says, Miss Georgia, arise up. It's time to go home. Amen? Man, the keys. What will you do today if heaven is shut to you? What would you do today if heaven was shut to you? But for those to whom it's opened... He's given the keys to our heavenly salvation. Man, I'm thankful that heaven's been opened up to me as a child of faith. And He's given the keys of the kingdom, the keys of the kingdom. You think of it today, one of the ways we can understand the keys of the kingdom. He says to Peter, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. What does that mean? I've been studying this week. I actually did not prepare, plan to, to give this sermon this week. But as I began to read through this and study it, it, it was so powerful that I felt like I should share it. But the keys, the key, we know that Jesus has the keys, right? No man can go to hell and, and get the keys back, and no man can open up the gates of heaven, right? So what does he mean when he says, Peter, I will give you the keys to heaven, the keys of the kingdom of heaven, which is different. The kingdom of heaven is his authority and realm on this earth. Heaven is up there. The kingdom of heaven is here among us. It's, it's coming on, heavens came to earth. Think of it this way. If I give you the keys to my house, here's my church keys, all right? If I give you, and these, say these keys open up my house. If I gave Joe here the keys to my house, I mean, I own these keys. They're the keys to my house, right? And so I have the power and authority to lock and unlock my house. And I have the power to pro permit and prohibit people from entering it. 
But if I gave my keys to Joe, what does that mean for Joe? Now, Joe has the power and authority to enter into my house whenever he wants. He has the permission. Now, this isn't real, Joe. No. <laughs> he has the permission to go in and out. And he can now let things in and out. And Jesus says the same thing to Peter. He says, I'm giving you what I have. I'm giving you the power, the authority, the responsibility to unlock and open the doors on this earth so that people might enter the gates of heaven. And so he's given us the keys of the kingdom. And Jesus alone has the keys to heaven, death, and hell. But he gives these keys to his church. It's not about Peter. If you go, if you were Catholic today, we take this verse to understand that Peter was the, the Pope and he was really, really important. And, and that is true. Peter is listed first in all the apostles' list. But Peter never saw himself more than any other apostle. And Peter's not the only one that opened and shut doors. We know that Paul opened the doors to the Gentile and Philip was the first to go to Samaria. So this isn't about Peter. And I'll explain this more in a second. But it's about, he's looking to his apostles, and we don't know which one he was looking at, but he's talking to Peter. But to all of them, he says, I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom. And I believe it wasn't about Peter, but it was about his church, that we have the authority to do the work of his ministry. The church has authority today to bring liberty and justice to the captives in hell, to build up the family of faith, the church, and to open doors of faith. Look at this in Matthew again. Because of his bold faith, what is Peter doing? Jesus gives Peter a unique privilege because Jesus, Peter is the first, uh, first in this passage to say, Peter had already pronounced this a few chapters earlier, but he says it again boldly. Peter was kind of that forward guy, and this is one of the times it was okay for him to be forward and to just jump on the gun and say, I know who you are. You're the son of the living God. And, and Jesus is encouraged, and he's like, yeah, thank you. I'm, an, I'm encouraged. My spirit's built up. And so he gives Peter this, this unique responsibility in the early church to open the doors of faith to the Jews and the Samaritans and the Gentiles to confirm Paul's ministry. But it's not about the position of authority that Peter had, but it's what God had given him and what God gives the church today. It's not my authority. It's not your authority. It's God's authority. It's, it's what God is doing in the world today that is doing and bringing new life. And one author says it this way. He says, a response of faith, a response of faith opens the door to a new life in Christ. And rejection closes the door on life and confirms judgment. It's as if to say, the door of hell and heaven are now open. And those who have faith begin to walk through it. And I'm giving you the keys of the kingdom to begin to open up people's ears and open up people's hearts so that they can see and understand if you just have faith, today is the day of salvation. Let's walk on through it together. Amen? And so the doors of faith, these are open doors. And who am I to shut what Jesus has opened? So many churches today prohibit and, and, and push out people to whom Jesus has opened that door. And he says, I've given you the keys to open what I've opened and close what I've closed. There are things in this world that you've got to bind together as the church and say, there is an open door in Gina, Louisiana today that we need to take advantage of. The heavens have opened up. Let's get on the move. And there's a door of faith we've got to get people to understand. If they just walk through that, we'll be in heaven together. Amen. And so that's what we're talking about this morning. Matthew 28, verse 18, Jesus says to them, Authority, all authority, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, 
make disciples. All authority had been given to Jesus, and he gives his messianic authority to the church. Go, do what I've already started. Do and continue the ministry I've already done. The hell, the hard part's over. I've got hell busted wide open. The gates of heaven are opened and the red carpet's rolled out. We just got to get people to walk through doors of faith. And don't shut it for anybody that I've opened it for. Amen? And so, he says this, binding and loosing. Binding and loosing. This is a very curious phrase. How many people have heard people preach on binding and loosing? And if you've grown up in a charismatic circle, and I'm around one, we, we use this phrase to talk about binding and loosing spiritual things. And the way that, that might be true, this is not what Jesus meant in this specific uh, passage. I want to explain it to you as uh, we studied out the Greek a little bit this week. That whoever, he says, whatever you bind on earth, and there's only one translation that actually gets it right, it's that's the New American Standard. It says, shall have been bound. And if... Uh, it's right in the English, and you might have a translation that says, whatever you bound, bind shall be bound in heaven. Well, heaven does not submit to me. I submit to heaven. And the earth is not lording over heaven and telling heaven what to do, and nor is man telling God what to do or not to do. But what it means is, is that whatever you're binding and loosing on earth shall have been or shall have already be, that you should be in agreement together with heaven and earth. And I love what he says in Matthew chapter 18, verse 18, he says, Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. And again, I say to you that if two, or two, if two of you agree on earth about anything that they may ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who's in heaven. You see, it's kind of going back to the key thing. To bind means to prohibit and to loose means to permit, or to bind means to tie up, and to loose means to break up or destroy, to permit, to allow. And so when Jesus tells his disciples that they're to prohibit and permit what has already been permitted and uh, prohibited in heaven, and so do what you see heaven doing. You have the authority. We, the church, has the authority. And he says, I'm calling you to get to agreement together. He says, when two of you are together, there I'll be. And then when you ask things together, it'll be done according to the will of my Father. But when I've given you these keys, it's a, it's a holy responsibility. You see, I've already done the work, Jesus says. I've opened the gates of hell. I've opened the gates of heaven. And so I want you, the church, to get into agreement together to understand what the holy things that I've permitted and the unholy things that I've prohibited. Uh, there are sin issues that we come to agreement on. We stand firm and say, God has not allowed those things. We're binding those sin issues, those sinful things. And then, but God has allowed these holy things for us today. And we need to open the doors and let holiness reign in our church. But when we come to agreement, the Bible says that that's when mountains move. You see, so many churches are powerless today because they're not in agreement. There's disunity, there's disharmony, and the keys are just left sitting there on the table. But see, Jesus says, I'm calling you together. You have the keys. 
You have the keys to see revivals in your community. You have the keys to unlock deaf ears, to see the blind and the lame walk and see. You have the authority to proclaim the gospel in every continent, every nation. You have all the money and resources you need. Now come together and do what? Start praying according to the will of God. Hear what heaven and look and see. I think sometimes we have our own agendas. This is what our church is doing. We have this program, that thing, or we're just here just to have church. But see, Jesus might have opened up something in heaven over this city, over this town. And he says, if y'all would just come to agreement together and know that I've opened up our school system or I've opened up this recovery ministry, I've opened up all these souls that are ready to hear the gospel. The door is open. If we would just come to agreement and say, God, what's your will? What are you telling us to do? He says, just walk on through. The victory's already been given. Amen? And that's what this means. Binding and loosing. Us, the church, understanding we have the authority to bring heaven on earth. We have the authority. It's been given to us to see mighty moves of God in our communities. And we have to come to agreement to understand, heaven, what are you speaking over our church? Heaven, what are you speaking over my life, my marriage, my finances, my direction, my future, my calling? God, what have you opened up to me? And I know that I have the authority to walk on through and say, God, you've already done this. Praise you that you have given me the victory in Jesus' name. When we align ourselves together under the will of God, he says nothing can stop his church. Nothing. The gates of hell cannot stop what Jesus has built. I don't care if they come and take our property, take our Bibles, if the sound breaks, the media breaks. Nothing can stop His church. I don't care who the president is, who the Congress is. I don't care what laws they pass. It don't matter. Nothing, nothing is going to stop His church. Amen? We have been given kingdom authority. And I'm asking us today, are we using the keys of heaven, His power and His authority? Are we being good stewards Good stewards of what God has given to us. If think of it this way, in the Old Testament times, kings would give their power, their power to lower magistrates and hold courts in their name and try matters under the law in the same way that wealthy landowner or master, he would have his big mansion and he would give keys to his chief steward, his chief servant. And that chief servant would have access to all the master's storehouse. He would go do business in the master's name in the marketplace, and he would have his master's keys and go do business in the name of his master. And the question today, whether it's under the illustration that we are lower magistrates, judges, and, and think there's the king, and he gives power to a magistrate and says, now go act in my name. You've got the keys to the kingdom. That's what would happen. That's what this means. Or it would be that, hey, I'm the master. Jesus is the master. And he gives his keys to his chief stewards, the heads of his household. And he says, you have access to my storehouse. Everything in heaven has, has been given to you. All the access to the storehouse, the treasures of heaven have been given to you. Use them. It's the talents. Invest wisely in the gifts that God has given to you. Use them. Multiply His kingdom. What have we been doing with the keys to God's kingdom? Are we good stewards? Are we opening doors of faith in our communities? Are we seeing God and heaven open up over us? Do we approve of what He approves of? Is there sin issues in our life that Jesus is saying, you need to bind up those things? 
those are unholy things. They need to be bound up. Are there things in our lives that Jesus says, I wish you would just let loose in a few of these areas and let heaven pour into your heart. Stop holding on control and just say, God, pour out an abundance in my life. I'm surrendering all these things to you. And is there things in our church that we say we need to come to agreement together on? Maybe there's disagreements in your life with another brother or sister in the faith. Maybe there's back talk that we know of. All those types of things hinder the power of God being poured out in this area. It really does. That's why we're working this fall to see uh, a revival of of the ministerial alliance and what God began to do after the genus 6, that we're, all of our churches are coming together this fall. And I'm saying this early just because it fits into the sermon. But we're coming together this fall to see a great uh, outpouring and a great prayer meeting and a great outreach to our community. And we were meeting this week even in the early stages of preparation because there's got to be unity in the kingdom of God. Amen? That's when the power of God falls is when there's unity. But Jesus is the rock. And I want to say this, that... Look at this with me in Matthew again. So we've got the gates, the keys, and the rock. The gates, the keys, and the rock. And Jesus here, what does he say? He says, Simon Barjona calls Peter by his former name. So he says, he, he tells Peter, and he uses his birth name. Remember, his name's Peter now. But he says, Simon, son of Jonah. And he reminds him where he came from. You see, he reminds Peter... Peter, I saw you before I ever met you that day. I know you, reminding you of where you come from. You were a humble shepherd, and I'm the one that called you. That's what he's, he's reminding him. And he says, but now your name is Peter. And he, when he, Jesus called him, he named him Peter. What does Peter mean? It's the Greek word for Petros, and it, it means little rock or movable or shaky rock, uh, like a stone in the gravel parking lot. It means little pebble or fickle rock or movable rock. And so he says, you are rock, little rock, and on this rock, I'll build my church. Well, in the Greek, when he says this rock, he uses Petra, and Petra means foundation, bedrock, immovable stone. He says, basically, in the Greek, you are movable rock, but on this bedrock, I'll build my church. You see, Peter thought it was all about him sometimes, and it wasn't talking to Peter at all, and we miss this sometimes. He says, you were fickle, movable, you were kind of floating around in the world today, but I changed you. I gave you a new name. It's written down in glory. Yes, it's his. Amen. And so you are a new name and you are rock, little rock, but I am the foundation. I am God, the rock. And on me, this rock, this humanly body that Jesus is about to give to the world as a sacrifice and go down into the pits of hell upon this action, upon this day upon this testimony this church will be built and the gates of hell won't be able to stand about what i'm about to do because i am the bedrock he says bible says in psalms 18 god is the rock of our salvation he's our his work is perfect he's our fortress and right here rocky i love this for the first time in his ministry jesus is here standing at the gates of hell and he mentions how he'll build his church he says, and we know in the fast forward that Jesus will meet the devil in the garden on that night, that the powers of darkness will come against him, and in agony he's going to sweat dr uh, drops of blood, but that he will submit his body, his life, to the will of God. He'll die a willing criminal's death on a cursed cross. And though Satan will bruise his heel, he's going to crush the devil's head. And in that moment... 
In that moment, when those nails go into his hands, his hands reach out and take the keys back. Think of it. With that moment where the nails go in his hands, that hand reaches down to the grave and takes back those keys and says, it's mine. They're mine. You're his now because of what he has done. And as the Keys in the, are in his hand, the keys of death in Hades. When the devil thought he had won, when it seemed like death overtook him, in the final round, Jesus got up. When he went down, he got back up. Praise the Lord. Scripture declares he has disarmed the rulers and authorities, and he's put them to shame on the cross. Now all things have been put under his feet. You know what that means? I'm not going to do it. To Joe. Well, actually, let's do it. Come here, Joe. I'm going to show you something. You're going to lay down right there for me. I'm going to step on your head. Good? All right. What this means is that he says all things have been put under his feet when he breaks down the the kingdom of hell, casts down the, the, the gates of hell, takes back the keys. Now all things are under his feet. What kings would do in the Old Testament times is they would have a servant king, the conquered king, lay down before them. I'm not going to really do it. Then they would put their foot on their neck and say, I won. And that's what Jesus does. Thank you, brother. That's what Jesus does to the devil. He says, I've won. He's under my feet. Amen? He's got the victory. And so, Jesus is the rock. He's the rock. And you and I are little stones. And Peter says it this way. And I'm wrapping it up. First Peter 2, 5. See, Peter realized it's not all about me. It's not all about what I can do. It's about what Jesus can do in my life. And he says, I'm the little stone. Jesus is my rock. I might move or shake. The wind might blow and toss me. But I'm building my life on the rock. And that rock has taken on the grave and hell and sin and death on my behalf. And Peter says this to his church. I love this. 1 Peter 2, 5, you have to understand. He says, you, the church, also are living stones. Little rocks. You are all little rocks. We're all living stones. And he says this, he says, are being built up as a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer sacrifices acceptable to God. He says this, basically, Jesus is the bedrock. And together, see, Peter always was getting in trouble by himself, but he had to learn. It's about us binding and loosening things together. We're all little rocks. And all of us, like these bricks right here, are little stones, And when together we are built up, together we each have our place, there's a bedrock foundation, but together we have our place, then we become, as a beautiful masterpiece, the temple of God. And while he's standing at the gates of hell, looking at hell and the people dancing around the pit of hell, in this false temple to this false God, who's really the devil, he says, all these people have made a false temple and a false God, and that pit of hell is really going to come and take them home one day, and they'll never get back. There's no hope. But you all understand, I am taking down the gates of hell. I'm going to take back the keys. I'm going to put them into your hands. And now you all together will be the real temple for the real God. That's what he's saying. That all of us together make up the true temple. And when we come together in unity, and though the world can look around and say, well, they're dancing around the pits of hell. Looks like it's going to be a good party. Let's join in the flute playing and get out there and dance the street. Follow our, our own perversion, our own ways. 
But on the other side, they begin to see the church rise up in action and say, wow, look at these people joining together. When people come into their midst, there's freedom, there's liberty, the chains are broken, there's hope, and there's peace, and there's love, and there's joy. That's not this false temple of stone and these monuments we're building. Wow, that's a movement of God. It's heaven on earth because Jesus is alive and well, and the gates of hell have been broken down. Amen? Amen. Who is Jesus today? Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Would you close your eyes with me and ask ourselves this question today? Who is Jesus? That's the question he asks his disciples. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Jesus looks standing at the world today and he asks, Who does the world say that I am? What's your and I response today? There's hell all around us. You go to work today, there's hell at your work. You go to the schools today, there's going to be hell at school. There's going to be people dancing around, fooling around with the things of this world and the devil. And Jesus, in the midst of hell, is saying, Who am I? And who will you say that I am before all men? They may persecute you, they may take you to the courts, they may hang you up, they may, they may drag you through the streets. But in face of hell and the life in this world, who will you say that I am? Will we stand up and in the face of hell declare to the world, Jesus is the Son of the living God. He alone is victorious. Jesus builds His church today on confessors of faith. People who are willing to stand up at the gates of hell and proclaim who He is. How are you confessing your faith today and shouting in the pit of hell, in the face of hell, who Jesus is? Because I'm going to tell you on Psalms chapter 24, look up here real quick. Psalms chapter 24, verse 8. At this moment, I'm going a little long, but I want you to get this. In this moment, when Jesus went down to hell, right? And He had asked ahead of time His disciples in the pit of hell, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, well, you're Son of the living God. In that moment when Jesus was on the cross, I believe this verse records what happened up in heaven. Psalms chapter 24, Jesus goes down to the pit of hell, and heaven asks, Who is this King of glory? Then the angels respond, The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. And then the gates of heaven, which had been locked to so many people for so long, the angels declared, Lift up your heads... O oh, you gates of heaven, lift up you everlasting doors. The King of glory is coming back in. He had gone to hell, but he got up, church. He's going back into heaven. And they ask again, who is this King of glory? He's the Lord of hosts. Jesus is this King of glory. See, he busted it open. There is victory in the name of Jesus today. And I want you to stand with us today and begin to give God praise for the victory it's all that it's, it's enough, church. It's enough. If he didn't do anything else, what he did today, giving us victory over sin and death and hell, is enough to worship him for all eternity. Would you worship him today?